Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. Hey, today I'm talking with Jeanette Sloan, designer and writer living near Brighton, England. We ended up talking for about two hours and 15 minutes, so let me tell you, it was a Sisyphean task to cut it down to less than an hour. This conversation is important, so please listen to it with an open heart and a desire to grow. There has been a lot of conversation on Instagram, I've mentioned that before, and blogs in the last month or two with makers of color calling for equal representation and calling out the consciously and subconsciously racist stuff they face every day in our crafting community and in their regular lives. So everyone in our fiber community deserves to be seen and to see themselves represented. Magazines and indie designers have begun using more diverse models in size ranges, ages, and ethnicities, but that only goes so far. There's a lot of hurt that privileged people are wielding against less privileged people. Uh, Jeanette and I talk about this a little bit in this episode, and I'm going to talk about it a little in the outro. So I hope that you'll hear her work and our conversation with the intent that I'm putting forth. I feel like educating people and knowing people's stories is the best way to stop prejudice. So this is why I'm sharing people's stories with broad backgrounds. Without any any further ado, let's talk to Jeanette. Hi, Jeanette. Hi. So you live in Brighton. I technically, yes. So there's a, a huge snobbery Outside down here. Brighton. I live in Brighton and Hove. Oh, okay. Brighton and Hove are um, one in the, the part of the same city. So, okay. uh, yes. But along the sea? Yes. That sounds lovely. Yes. You are a woman of color, and you've devoted a lot of time to furthering visibility of other makers of color. Like, you wrote an article for a knitting magazine called Black People Do Knit. Yeah. Can you tell me about that article? Uh, first of all, I would say that I probably come to the um, trying to promote diversity in knitting, probably come to that party a little bit late. There's a lot of people who've been doing um, more work than I have, yeah. a lot longer than I have. So I ended up writing this article sort of on the back of a, a, a sort of convergence of two conversations that happened on Instagram. Mm -hmm. One of them was the diversity hashtag that was started by um, Nathan Taylor, who's known as, uh, who's on Instagram as Sockmetician. And also um, there's another conversation about black people not knitting, which was... That's um, absurd. (laughs) Isn't it? So um, Lorna Hamilton Brown is a, a absolute warrior of a woman who is a woman of color, is an artist. She um, is a machine knitter, mm-hmm. hand knitter, and she was writing um, a dissertation. She was at the Royal College of Art in London doing an MA in textiles. Yeah. And she had been, she was actually attending the In The Loop conference um, in Southampton. And the reason the dissertation came about was because somebody at that conference had remarked, had, had responded to her, remarked that there weren't a lot of black people there by saying, well, black people don't knit. They crochet. Oh, seriously? Seriously. And this was, I can't, I actually, I can't remember off the top of my head how 
how long ago, how when this was, but it wasn't that long ago. And I remember <laughs> scarily thinking, not long ago. <laughs> so it was. I just remember thinking, why on earth would you say a thing like that? And it's obvious. It's just not true. Well, I wonder if that has to do with the whole like classist divide between knitting and crochet like there's there's a absolutely bullshit but kind of assumed divide between knitters and crocheters it originally was a class divide we were just talking about this about you know irish crochet and like so irish people were poorer and they were doing crochet do you think it's like it's a holdover of the class divide between the two i don't know because i mean i would never say it's a bit like saying you know well obviously all it's a bit like saying well, all black people run fast. Why would you say that? <laughs> like, black people don't knit; they crochet. That's weird. And this is this came from a supposed, supposedly intelligent woman, supposed academic who had attended this conference, to a black woman who clearly knits. Can knit, otherwise, she wouldn't have been at the conference. What the so, actual fuck? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the barefaced cheek and audacity to say that to somebody. I certainly right. wouldn't have said it. I really wouldn't have said it. Yeah. So anyway, um, Lorna kind of took this, well, she just took it very well because I probably would have said something yeah. to her. <laughs> and she decided that she was going to write a dissertation in response to this. That's fantastic. So she took it and channeled it for good. So she really did. And we ended up meeting, our paths crossed because one of her tutors at the Royal College of Art, Freddie Robbins, actually said to her, you need to try and find some black knitwear designers. Yeah. And interestingly, she said, oh, do you know of any? And they both kind of went, <laughs> Freddie said, oh, I know of Jeanette Sloan because Freddie and I used to work together when I worked at a university years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's how I um, came to meet Lorna Hamilton Brown. Yeah. And um, she's a, a friend of mine now, but it was just, an interesting thing was when she said I couldn't, I, I was told to, to you know, um, get in contact with you. And I was thinking, actually, how many black knitwear designers do I know? And I just think, I said to her, yeah. it's ridiculous. I can't be the only person. No. So I, I knew of Shirley Payden, mm-hmm. the American designer. Yeah, she's great. But I couldn't think of that many others. Yeah. So that when the whole diversity conversation kind of came up, although Nathan hadn't, hadn't intended for this to be a thing about color or race it yeah. was supposed to be more um more a more broad invitation for um people of all, right of yeah. people from all sorts of diverse backgrounds and abilities yeah. to um to to respond to his post um but he particularly noticed that his instagram feed was quite white yeah and he kind of thought well how's that come about is this you know is this a conscious or a subconscious thing? So he kind of put that, put it out there to invite people of all sorts of backgrounds and co- and colours and genders and, and you know, sexual orientation, whatever. Yeah, to get abilities. It. There's yes. the diversity hashtag is fantastic, isn't it? Isn't it just? Yeah, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And normally I don't tend to post and tag people, but I thought it was such a lovely thing. I did. It was the dare to share hashtag, I think it was, and then I I posted just saying who I am, and it, it was. To invite people to say something about themselves yeah. uh, that perhaps other people didn't know that much. So I put up a picture of myself and said a, a few things about myself. And that was really interesting. And then Nathan and I kind of started chatting as well. So um, it was just a really interesting kind of convergence of, of two conversations, really. And I remember I then put up a hashtag, a, a post, a call out, really, saying, how many black knitwear designers can you name? Because I, still, after Lorna had 
and, and published yeah. her dissertation, I still couldn't believe there weren't that many of us. Yeah, and they there absolutely are. Like, you guys, do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's people from every background really? doing this. It's, well, and it's it's very much like, like, it has a low barrier to entry. It's not like you need to go to fashion college to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, we have people of all different education levels and people of all different class incomes yeah. doing this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. we're everywhere. Knitters so are everywhere. Think, so why wouldn't there, why would, as you say, if misses are everywhere, why wouldn't there be some black ones and some brown ones and some, you know, all sorts of, yeah. you know, shades in between? Why wouldn't there be? So to, for someone to actually turn around and say, well, actually, black people don't knit, they crochet. Why? So... I put That's this post just... up, um, how many black hand knitwear designers can you name? And um, mm-hmm. wasn't expecting what I got. And I got a huge response, which was amazing. And they were sort of saying, yes. thank you for, our, you know, thank you for, for flagging this up and bringing it up. And, and some people kind of felt that it had almost been unsaid for so long. They were worried that no one was going to say anything. Yeah. And it wasn't meant to be a political thing. It was genuinely a there really can't just be me. And, you know, yeah. I've met, I haven't met, but I now I'm aware of lots more black knitwear designers, but also, um, you know, indie dyers and weavers and, you know, mm-hmm. other black craftspeople. Craftspeople of yeah, all And not just time. black either. So I, I got a couple of comments no. from um, some, some of the other accounts that I follow on Instagram saying, you know, if you think that black knitters are underrepresented, you should see... You know, you should see how it's what it's like for Asian um, knitters. So I recently put up one about Asian um, knitwear designers. Yeah. Um, I think I did that a couple of weeks ago, but I just haven't gone through all the names. Yeah. So you've you've collected um, the names for you know people of color who are you know in this like designers and crafters and things like that, and you've you've put it up on your website. So we'll link to that. I really encourage everybody to go like scroll through that list and look at everyone's feed and see if you know you can find somebody new that you yeah, really definitely. like their work and also it's really important that you don't just yeah. um follow them on instagram or um look at their work or buy their work just because they're black because they probably yeah. thank you for it because yeah. i wouldn't thank someone do someone do no <laughs> but like if you find some like it's just it's meant to broaden horizons and just show you you know work that you haven't seen before. So if you find something that jives with your personal style, follow that person, buy their stuff. Like, you know, it's just it's just meant to it's it's very easy when you're privileged and white to live in your little world and not yeah. go outside of it. And so it's really important I think for for us to push ourselves outside of that and and broaden our circles of you know people whose work we see broaden the experiences of life that definitely, we hear definitely and it's exciting so, I mean you know we're supposed to be we're people awesome. you know who love color in a, a in a, a kind of crafting tactile sense why wouldn't you you know yeah. why wouldn't you want to bring that color color and variety in any other sense um well and like you're getting you're getting a different cultural yeah. experience in forming yeah. designs. Yeah. So it's going to be different, you know, like you can see stuff that's different than stuff you've ever seen before and maybe that sparks some interest in you. Maybe that like sparks you to want to make stuff. Um because of your hashtag I found I found a designer, a crochet designer that like cuz I I kind of have taken to to crocheting in my spare time right. instead of knitting a little bit because knitting is work, you know? <laughs> so like crocheting feels like different work. 
<laughs> so it can be my personal work. And so I found some fantastic crochet designers that like I love their work and I've bought patterns and I've like my sister is getting a shawl for Christmas that I made from one of the patterns you know yeah. that I found yeah. through I have your to hashtags. say it broadened my kind of um horizons as well because there were lots of people that I hadn't heard of so putting that list together yeah. was really interesting and I'm, I've yeah. got to I'm not sure when I'm going to get around to putting the um the names that I was given for the um Asian designers the Asians yeah. and um crafters and dyers which is why it's another reason why I caught started calling it the people of color designers and crafters rather than yes. restricting it or limiting it to black because the whole you know, the, the spirit of diversity is that it's about it's, representation and it should yeah. be representation for everybody. And inclusive, in, inclusivity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm yeah. have you um, seen the, is it the Make 9 2019? So yes. I'm going to, um, I'm really looking forward, to, I was going to try and do that tonight actually, looking forward to just sitting down and trying to choose my nine things. So I'll be looking mm. at the whole pool of names and um, seeing what I can come up with. But yeah, definitely. Well, and you know, like, even if you don't have a lot of time to to be making things like you could be signal boosting, you know, even or like if money like there's a bunch of non monetary ways that you can, you know, help support people of all backgrounds with Uh with their work. So like doing what we do, designing knitting patterns and, you know, like teaching and all the stuff that we do. It's hard. (laughs) Like it's a lot of work. So. Oh, so much work. But, you know, so like if you make something and post about it and link back to the person who designed it or, you know, that kind of thing, the people who dye the yarn, you can help support people without money if money isn't a thing you have. Definitely. And that's another one of the reasons why I kind of try to sort of regularly, those people that I kind of put onto the list and anybody whose work, I just think, wow, this is amazing. People should, you you should see this. Then I will just repost it. Yeah, because you know it's it's a neither nice way of just throwing something new into somebody else's radar because it, it's very easy yeah. when you're on Instagram just to keep on scrolling down. So sometimes it's nice just to throw yes. something in into that mix a little bit just to make people kind of just slow down and go, oh, hold on a second, what's this? This looks interesting. Yep, we all have these weird intersecting Venn diagrams of people that we touch in our daily lives with social media. You know, I'm sure that we have some overlap between you and me, like our followers or like the people that we follow. But like there's, you know, there's probably less overlap than non-overlap. So, you know, signal boosting really does uh-huh. actually I'm help. That, actually, I've not heard that phrase before. So, yeah, oh, yeah. signal boosting? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured that this whole podcast is signal boosting. <laughs> I just want to show people all the cool stuff that's out there and, you know, what people are doing and talk, you know, let people yeah, tell their stories. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. I have to, and it was interesting because just through, I wasn't expecting the response to this article that I got. And it has, Yeah, I've never, I've been on Twitter for quite a few years and I kind of don't really bother with Twitter that much because obviously, you know, I just no. kind of find it a little bit kind of clanky and cumbersome. But Instagram, I really kind of have taken to, I suppose, because it's, it's an image. Yeah. You know, it's an image-based yeah. um, social media platform. Uh, but since yeah. doing um, this article, I've now, I, you know, thankfully, thank you very much, all the people that have chosen to follow me because of this article. And it's lovely now just kind of picking up and connecting with all these new people and then trying to find more new people. 
Um, it's really yeah. exciting, actually. I've never been so excited about using social media as I have over uh, as I have using Instagram over the last twelve months. It's been really, really good, and it's just as you say, it's kind of helps me to connect with you know lots of interesting new people, like you know, like you actually sitting and having yeah. a conversation with um, with somebody. Great. Yeah, I have kind of a love hate relationship with social media. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. I, yeah, I think we mostly most most of us do. Um, there's you know, th- there's a lot of good that can come from it mm-hmm. and a lot of kindness, but it's all about how you use it. Yeah, definitely. Most so definitely. I think like I'm I'm really happy to signal boost anything that's using social media for good <laughs> because I feel like I kind of have to be there for the business, you know, for for all the various streams that I have to keep like yeah. spinning plates for. Yeah, so you try to keep all those balls juggling in the air. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, but having good and kindness living on my social media makes it worth it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm absolutely all about that, Les Reza. There's yeah. enough bitching and nastiness and carping on. And I just, Seriously. I really don't have time for it. So as you yeah. said, the more the more positivity and stigma boosting and the more love you can spread about, the better. I'm absolutely yeah. all for that. So the article then was, was it based on, um, on Lorna Hamilton Brown's work did you just interview her and talk about it or it was it was actually it was interesting so I I kind of I emailed I messaged um the editor of knitting Christine Boggis and just said are you watching this are you aware of this thing that's happening on Instagram it's just really interesting um and I kind of explained to her what it was and she said well actually want to write a piece on it based on your experience as a black knitwear designer I went actually yeah I wouldn't mind doing that awesome so um, I took the idea from Lorna's work, but it's really about your experience. It was kind of a, it was, it, it was a kind of, a kind of coming together of Lorna's work, Nathan's hashtag, and yes. throwing in the question of actually, are there any black knitwear designers around that we know of? So that it's yeah. kind of a little Just the confluence. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a combination of those three. So I spoke to. Lorna, I spoke to Nathan, I spoke to um, Natalie Warner, who's an uh, English black knitwear, mm-hmm. sorry, British black knitwear designer, who actually regularly designs for Knitting Magazine, mm-hmm. and um, Helda um, Panagari, who is a um, black crochet designer. Yeah. Um, and also, the brilliantly, the model who appeared on the cover of the magazine uh, yeah. A model called Emma Rodi. She knits as well. Oh, that's great! Yeah, really, really, <laughs> good. really good. But also, in the course of that sort of discussion, um, people had commented on Instagram about how they don't very often see women of color or people of color modeling. Yes. Um, the designs. Yeah. So it's nice that Christine had used a black model, and she's used black models quite a bit in the past. And yeah. there's also been a lot of attention given to the Pom Pom magazine cover. Of, yes, that was really lovely, wasn't it? The kind it of was so uh, great. Well, because like issues. there were so many representations happening in Pom Pom magazines. I'm 36, so you know I know about it, but haven't personally experienced it. But like the erasure of middle-aged women. Women are either uh you know like they're they're seen and valued when they're young and then like not when they're older and and so like seeing you know older women represented and women of many colors and women of many sizes it's so great yeah 
Yeah. You know, I grew up in a culture where there's, you know, like all the standard, you know, white skinny models who have no boobs. And like, <laughs> I am not that. I'm very curvy. <laughs> you know, I'm relatively short and I'm curvy. And like seeing seeing yourself represented in these ways can make a huge difference for your body image and your self-esteem. And like that, that crosses not only like size ranges and skin colors, but like, you know, abilities, like it's everything. Seeing yourself represented in various ways, all the different parts of yourself is so important for building who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember my mom, so back to this whole black people don't knit thing. I sort of said to Lorna, my mom's been knitting since as long as I can remember because she used to knit clothes for me and my brothers and sisters when we were little. But what yeah. I don't remember is ever seeing any of the patterns that she knitted from having anybody black in them. Nope. Anybody black having designed the patterns or anybody black wearing those patterns. Yeah. So it was just, but it, thankfully I'm kind of, obstinate and stubborn enough to have just decided that this is what I wanted to do but if I hadn't had that kind of strength of character it may well have put me off I may well have thought actually I haven't seen any black people doing that perhaps I can black people do that yeah it's not for me yeah Um, so yeah it is really hugely important that um, we see ourselves reflected and everybody should see themselves reflected absolutely there's um, I, I find a lot of crossover with with this you know diversity in knitting with the body positive movement yeah uh body positivity and there's a lot of people that i follow um for that there's a uh, body posi panda do you follow her at all i've seen no i've seen a couple of her posts i think she's been re reposted by a couple of people but i don't yeah. know she is full of so much joy and she's curvy and like, you know, and short and has fantastic hair. And like she posts these videos where she she dances like she's wearing a bra and shorts and she dances and they are full of so much joy that you can't like even the most judgy people. I feel like if you didn't smile, something is wrong with you. What's her name? Is it Body Posy Panda? Yes. Well, I've just quickly looked her up. Watch all of her jiggle videos. She calls them jiggle videos, um, <laughs> where basically she just dances. And she's, oh, I love her so much. Every every time she posts, like, I stop feeling, you know, any kind of, any kind of self-regret. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, I love seeing her posts. Oh, but, she's just fantastic. Look at that smile. I love yes. the picture of her. There is a, I'm just looking at her Instagram stream very quickly. Yeah. And there she's is super joyful. Post. There's a um, little kind of cartoon of her with a um, a huge lolly up to her face, and there's a bubble coming <laughs> from somebody saying, Are "You sure you want to eat that?" And she's just giving him the finger. Yep. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Good for her. Oh, she's fantastic. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come to knitting? Where and when did you learn? So I I learned when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, my mum knitted my mom actually learned learned to knit when she came um over to the uk from barbados um Mm -hmm. at the end of the 50s beginning of the 60s so she was taught to knit by um a woman who was actually my godmother um and then mum taught me to knit when i was seven because i was bored one day and i was fascinated (laughs) by her knitting because my mom was such a fast knitter and such a beautiful knitter as well that kind of beautiful um elegant way of holding the needles 
you know, oh, is it the the um, the overhand rather than underhand, yes. like the, the overhand yeah, and move like the pencil hold yes. rather than than the knife hold. Right. So yes, yeah, she would be pencil and I would be knife. So yeah, yeah. and she used to move um, the yarn with her right hand, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, wow, that is it's like it was like magic watching her um, yeah. knit. So I got remember getting asking her to teach me to knit. But being frustrated, I remember thinking, why, if you need it to be over this side, would you move the yarn with this hand? Yeah. So I ended up working out that actually um, I could knit better, faster and actually achieve it by um, moving the yarn with my left hand. Yeah. So um, that was it. That's what got me started. It was my mum. So did she learn to knit when she came to the UK just to like make things that were warm? Because I imagine it's quite yeah. different than Barbados and a bit of a culture shock. Pretty much. That was it was cold. And yeah. uh, and she had kids to knit for, yes. So there were four yeah. of us and she said it was it was cold and at the time it was cheap to yeah. um, you know to make clothes for us. So she knitted for us, yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, and Necessity. Yeah, definitely. And she was brilliant. She was absolutely brilliant. Um she interestingly, she although she knitted I don't think she did very much colour work. She did mm-hmm. texture. She used to love knitting cables. Yeah. So I think she's probably the person that taught me to cable first of all, and then I kind of took it from there. And I would, as I kind of got older and I kind of started to be, at, you know, go to school and then go to college, I would save my pennies and go and buy Rowan books. Yeah. <laughs> Rowan books. I've still got so many of them. And then just drool over all those charts of really intricate cable patterns and get my teeth into those and love them but then I learned how to do um, things like intarsia mm-hmm. and ferro which mum never did yeah and I just you know kind of took it from there that's really great mm. my sister knew how to knit and she taught me how to cast on and how to do a knit stitch and then I took it from there and like learned everything else right like from books and and stuff like that but like you know my my mom doesn't do any of the handcrafts uh, nor did my grandmother. My grandmother was a very reluctant mender. <laughs> <laughs> right, but of necessity, she needed to, but she didn't want to do it. Yeah, so I, uh, um, when she passed, I got her, her sewing kit, which was, like, almost untouched. Oh, really? And, yeah, and she had a darning egg that I swear had never been used. <laughs> You should probably find another use for that. Does still knit? Did your sister still knit? You said your sister taught you to um, knit. She, she's primarily a crocheter. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So there's there's more crochet in my family than knitting. I kind of, you know, my sister would like knit a sweater for someone and then like go back to crochet. She was actually doing production crochet for a while. Right. Um, but I'm I'm primarily the knitter. I'm far and away the knitter in my family. <laughs> So did she ever teach you to crochet or did you just decide that actually um, I, knit you Yeah, crochet? I actually learned to crochet first. Right. I learned to crochet when I was like seven or eight. Okay. And, um, and I did that for, yeah, for like well, about like, I guess, nine, eight, nine years solely. Yeah. And then, and then learned to knit when I was 16. Well, I but knitting just made more sense to me. And it just like, I, I like the fabric, you yeah. know, like... I, I like what I really wanted to do was make items I could wear wow. and you know and so like making socks and while you can crochet socks I think knitted socks are superior yeah I have to say I <laughs> so, 
That's really why I learned to knit because yeah. I wanted to make articles of clothing. It's interesting. So I did it the other way around. I learned to knit at seven and mm-hmm. then um, learned to crochet because I needed to do a freelance job or, or someone had asked me, wanted me to do something freelance that involved crochet. And they said, you can crochet, can't you? And I went, oh, yeah, I can crochet. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> I went home and said to my mom, I really need to crochet, learn to crochet quick. So she yeah. kind of, I bought that. It was a harmony guide to crochet. And it was mum again that got me started off. But it doesn't. It, it doesn't immediately make as much sense to me as knitting does. Yeah. I'm more I'm of a natural knitter than I am. I'm a natural crocheter. Yeah. Learning crochet first meant that knitting seemed really simple. Right. Um, you know, knitting knitting is more complicated to fix mistakes because all of your stitches are on the needles. But, but crocheting has more stitches. Right. You know, more things like that you have to learn how to do, yes. how to execute. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, they each have their, their drawbacks and they have their pros and they have, you know, <laughs> different textures. And yeah. like, like you can't, you and they're so vastly different. You can't get the same texture from knitting as you do from crochet or the other way around. Oh, you've got Tunisian crochet, which I kind of quite like, which looks, it's almost like a really nice kind of cross between the two and actually yeah Tunisian's uh, fine Brown taught me to um, the basics of very very basic yeah crochet because I've never got that before like actually this is really really nice yeah um, I like I do like the texture but I have to yeah. say I, don't, I can't crochet for very long it really makes my hand hurt it uh, might be just because I'm holding on for grim death because I'm tense <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> but knitting my hands never hurt I'm yeah, the motions are different. Yeah. There's there's a rotation that happens with crochet, yeah. which actually I kind of mitigated. So <laughs> I started thinking about ergonomics and the way that I move my hands when I was like 12 <laughs> because I was crocheting and hurting my wrists. <laughs> and so I modified the way I crocheted. So I kind of move my fabric onto my hook I with my it. left hand. Right. Rather than in than completely twisting my right hand to move the hook through the fabric. Yeah. yeah. So the hand the hand moves less and the fabric moves more. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Get, yeah. And it's, so it's it's you know less of a rotation mm-hmm. for my for my right wrist and and so it's like I'm splitting the the movement between two hands instead of just with the one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's. <laughs> it's one of those weird things that you know you you realize is strange once you're older yeah (laughs) like I was thinking about the ergonomics of my crochet when I was 12 yeah that is weird Miriam I have to agree with you yeah no it totally is I wasn't didn't didn't know it was called ergonomics at the time but (laughs) I definitely wasn't thinking about that when I was 12 Well, like I would, I would crochet in church and I got all the old ladies like turning around and telling me that, I, you know, I, every stitch I did on the Sabbath, I would have to undo with my nose in hell. <gasps> you are joking. No, no. There was a lot of, a lot of very angry old ladies <laughs> telling me that I shouldn't be crocheting in church. Crochet shaming in church. <laughs> in church. Wow. And I'm like, Mormon church is three hours long. How do you expect me to do this? <laughs> joking three hours no it's three hours it's crazy i've never been to a mormon church before i've been to a catholic wedding before and that was quite long but i've never been to a mormon church. three hours i think 
Yeah, yeah. So but you do you do different stuff. So like one hour is like sermon kind of, you know, time. And then like the other times you split up into different groups and you do like, um, you know, things with your your age group or, you know, your they split up into like men and women. And anyway, it's but it's more sermons, but in different groups. So you, you kind of thought you'd take your crochet just to get you through it. Yeah, because like because <laughs> I have I have this like. Like even in school, so I used to crochet and knit in school um, because because if my hands are busy, my brain is free. Right, got you. You know, like if I don't have something to do with my hands, I'm usually fidgeting with my nails or like you know picking at my skin or like like I'm, I I have to have the thing to do with my hands or else I start like getting really twitchy. Have you seen? I did a little blog post about him a couple of weeks ago. A little um a little black kid called Jonah who's on Instagram was Jonah's hands and he was taught to crochet because he said he was messing about in school so his mum taught him to crochet and he just makes the most fantastic things his work is just beautiful he's really prolific and really quick you have to you have to um have a look at him he's yeah I'll find it I'll link it in the show notes yeah definitely and he's just his smile is just beautiful he's just beaming at his instagram pictures with the latest thing he's made that's fantastic like mermaid tails and huge blankets and cows and pot holders it just is brilliant he's absolutely brilliant that's wonderful yeah that's basically why i you know was doing all these things in school and and teachers would give me shit until they found out that like I was still getting A's and that I was paying more attention when I had something to do with my hands. Right, and then they'd back off with they. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except when I dropped a double point on a tile floor in choir, like oh. a metal double point going ping in <laughs> choir. That one got got my knitting banned from choir. <laughs> and is this stuff that were these patterns that you were making up, or was this stuff that you were following? Uh. Yes, and like both. Right. Um, you know, I've I've always like basically I learned to knit, and then I was like, I could do all sorts of other things. Like, let me change this. Let me make this exactly how I wanted. Because you yeah. know, I was sixteen, and you don't really, you don't have, you don't have the same strictures on your in your brain about like what you can and can't do. Like, I I knitted socks for like a third project. I think I knitted two scarves, and then was like, okay, I'm ready for socks. <laughs> That's brilliant. Why shouldn't you change something? Right? You're a pattern and you're kind of thinking, actually, I want to tweak it or change it or change the color. Why not? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the joy of of all of this making yeah. that, you know, you make it your own. You put your own your own spin on it. You put your own history into it. Yeah. That's absolutely what it's about. Yeah. Otherwise, why why wouldn't you just go and buy mass produced if you're just going to yeah, crank exactly. up the same stuff? Yeah. Make it absolutely make it different. Yeah. It's couture. Yeah. We're doing, you know, custom work yeah. for ourselves and for the people that we decide to grace with our product. <laughs> yeah, as a oh. definitely. <laughs> All right, my train of thought just kind of went then. I kind of no, that's fine. This. this is what editing is for. <laughs> I was thinking back then to um, the pile of stuff that I've made for my mom. Funny. Yeah. Really. Yep. I tend to make socks for my mom because um, she doesn't really wear a lot of other things. Like I've made her shawls in the past and she like drapes them over chairs, but doesn't really wear them. (laughs) And then I explained to her that, that socks 
like the highest compliment for a knitter who made you socks is for you to wear them out because you wore them so much. Yeah. And then they get to make you more socks. Yeah. So, so I make her socks. She's getting socks for Christmas. <laughs> I've talked about this in previous episodes, specifically like with, with other women of color and, and people of different genders. But our industry is, is very female-centered, but still has a lot of anti-feminist sexism. Um, specifically thinking like, uh, you know, like women demurring about being businesswomen, you know, or like we undersell ourselves, things like that. What's your experience been in this industry? Because you've kind of got a double whammy of being a woman and a person of color. It's never, I've never felt that it was um, an issue or anything, any, anything like that has ever kind of been leveled at me. Mm, interesting. Until this whole um, diversity thing came up. I never, it seems ridiculous, but I never particularly thought of myself. As being an outsider in that industry? Or, or I, like a, you know, well, the rarity? I was very, well, right. Well, I, I knew that I was, I suppose I knew that I was a rarity. I didn't yeah. realize quite how, how much of a rarity I was. <laughs> I didn't think that it was, necessarily an issue that I needed to raise because I, yeah. obviously you know with being it's not like um in your sort of sexual orientation or gender you can you can see I'm black yeah so I didn't think it's I not like a secret part of your life it wasn't a secret so I didn't feel I needed to make an issue out of it but it's really yeah, you, did, you don't need to come out as a person of color right. it's pretty <laughs> out it's pretty <laughs> obvious so, um, and I've never felt short of any opportunities or whether there was ever, um, I never felt like I was at a disadvantage okay. or I couldn't do something yeah. um, because I was black. I yeah. never felt that. And the same thing as a woman. Um, yeah. Does that does that answer your question? Or not? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I wonder whether whether the difference in you know in our experience of this has to do with where we live, or you know, or because you, I don't know here here there's a really it's it's weird because like a lot of a lot of our work isn't taken seriously because it's craft, and because it seems like women's work. Rather than like being seen as consummate business people. I mean, it, it's interesting because I have had a, I have had a lot of people say to me, "Oh, what do you do for a living? How did you start doing that?" Yeah, like, see, like, how do you start doing your job? Yeah, well, like that's you know that's interesting. Like, how did you come to that? Like, it's not like you go to a school for a degree. Like that that question makes sense to me. The question I get when I tell people what I do for a living is, you can actually make money doing that. Well, they question it, or they're they're stating that they're questioning it. Right. They're like, wait. That's you can you can, you know, make a living doing that like because they undervalue craft. Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. I had a friend of mine, a, a really long standing friend of mine once said to me, never make money using your hands. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a maker, it is very, very difficult making. It's hard because because, you know, like there are people who who take it seriously and and people who don't. And yeah. we're all in this market together. You know, and so like, you know, somebody could be spending or, you know, selling a pattern for $3 that they put just as much work into as I did for one that I'm trying to sell for six fifty. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's I think, I think complicated. If you're making, you know, if you're trying to make a living from actually making as well as designing, if you're a designer maker, that's really mm -hmm. difficult as well. It's funny, I was um, actually taking photographs of some bags that I've um, made. 
mm-hmm. um, to put up onto the website today. And you just kind of think, well, I've kind of costed them out and that's the price of the bags. Yeah. Thinking that people are going to think that's too expensive. And you just think, well, actually, I didn't yeah. buy the fabric. I bought the yarn, knitted the fabric, yeah. the fabric, mm-hmm. um, you know, processed it, um, felted it, dried it, cut it, made the bag. So yep. it's just, but I, 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 I do lament the fact that so much of what we buy in shops now is so cheaply, cheaply made that yeah. people think. I think that's one of the reasons why people think that actually, why would you want to spend all of that money on a pattern or yeah. all of that money on something that somebody else has made? Yeah. You just think when well, you could buy the finished made thing, it's uh-huh. it's a culture of acquisition rather than the process of making it. You know, the focus being on the finished thing yeah. rather than the joy you get from making it. Yeah. And that whole the whole idea of things being so disposable, so cheap, yeah. so disposable. Yeah. And I said to my husband years ago, there is going to be there's going to be a price to pay for all of the clothing that we're buying so cheaply and throwing yes. away so easily. And, you know, apart from the, the effect that it has on the manufacturing industries in the countries mm-hmm. that used to manufacture to such a high standard and now don't because yeah. cheaper places produce in larger numbers and for less money and then ship it back in. And well, people- and the civil rights of the people who are forced to produce it in these other countries as well. Yeah. Like there's a lot of a lot of various impacts. Yeah. And it's not, and so I think there is a, there's a, a, a kind of, uh, it, it has an impact on craft fair as well because people don't yeah. see, as you say, the, they don't see the value in making, and they don't see um, the value in something that's made, made slowly and made well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons that I kind of have come back to making because apart from the the, the therapeutic effect it has on me, it's actually nice yeah. to just make something beautifully. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff made really badly now. So badly. Mm. Really Ugh. badly. <laughs> yeah, because it's made cheaply. And, you know, you can't, you can have, there's a, an old business adage that you can have something fast, you can have something made well, or you can have something made cheaply. You can have two of those three things, but you can never have all three. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yep. And those kind of looking back on the things that um, some of the things that I've had for a number of years in my wardrobe, you just think, well, the things that are cheap, they don't, they literally don't last. And you kind of look in your wardrobe and you just think, actually, I've had that for donkey's years. And why? Because I made it or my mum made it or mm-hmm. it was made with. Or I actually spent, you know, significant money on it. Like, you know, go through five twenty dollar pairs of shoes but you spend you know a hundred dollars on a pair of proper leather shoes and they last you yeah yeah and you're never going to want to throw them away or, or no you're going to my husband thought it was the other day like you're like re-soling a pair of shoes yep. and i said i don't think people tend to get shoes resold these days because it just it's actually he actually he did buy a pair of shoes a couple of weeks ago and they're really really lovely and he kind of we looked and looked and looked for this specific type of loafer and he eventually mm-hmm. found them. And I said, the only thing you've got to watch about that sole is on that shoe, Sam, is that it's a kind of like a molded sole rather mm-hmm. than there being a, a kind of distinct change in level between the heel yeah. of, the, of the shoe and the sole. I said, but interestingly, they do resole the shoes. So the shoes yeah. cost him, I think it was just under a hundred quid, mm-hmm. but what they charge for resoling the shoe if you need to get it resold you can't yep. get it done was 85 quid yeah and i just said to him they don't want you to resole the shoe they nope. want you to buy they want you to buy new ones yeah yep. so, so why bother why bother yeah. for a service 
I'm just sounding like a 51 year old woman now. No, we're, you know, this, this is a conversation that I have with everybody, you know, about like disposable culture and, and how antithetical it is to what we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a sad, sad thing. I'm guilty of buying a bit of, you know, a bit of cheapiness here. Of course. Everybody. Well, I'm like, I just bought, you know, two pairs of like leggings that have, you know, that are like, ridiculous polyester fabric but they have pockets so like because i need leggings now because i'm cold and i don't have time to sew them you know like like there's there's you know i'm not an all or nothing yeah person in this regard you know i understand that like like it has its it has its drop its drawbacks and it's you know definite like pros but i think it's about finding a balance and trying to shift the narrative a little bit at a time definitely most definitely yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, I'm hoping, I was hoping to be kind of making more for myself this year. It hasn't happened, but you know what? <laughs> Next year, you know, yeah. you say I'll just shift it a little bit more towards the yeah. handmade and slow made and the well made and away from the cheaply made and the quickly made. Yeah. That's- and, you know, that's the only way that, like, that real lasting change ever happens is slowly. Yeah, definitely. Over a period of time. Which uh, segues nicely into the next question. So I'm definitely seeing more effort from publications and and individual designers to be more inclusive and general in general with sizing specifically, also with showing a broader range of people as models. And are you seeing this in the industry as well? I think yes, now definitely, definitely. Yeah, and it's about time, <laughs> right? And again, you know, having representation is really important for future generations as well as you know our own. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. I think I'd either read or heard somewhere that over in the UK, I think they're saying that in the um, the next I don't know ten to twenty years or something, the largest ethnic group is going to be mixed race. Oh, that's great! Just quite interesting. And I just thought, yeah, yeah everything you know, it, you know, um, the media and you know everything needs to represent that. It needs to, yeah. rep- you know, it needs to be more representative of who we actually are, not who they say we are. Yeah. Well, and, you know, not seeing yourself represented leaves you wondering what your place is in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like, that's that's how I see privilege. Like, boiled down privileges is whether or not the world is for you. You know, like, whether or not you feel like the world is there yeah. for you or not. The way that I interact with society is very different than a person of color who presents as being a person of color. Because yeah. as you, you know, as we've kind of established... You can't really hide it, can you? No. It's interesting. No. I, my, um, my husband's white. I'm married to a, a white Irish. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's been, quite in, it's been quite a learning curve for him. Because obviously, yeah. you know, as you say, he has that white privilege because he's yeah. a you know, white Irish and male. Yeah. Um, and I kind of said to him, there are certain things that you don't tend to have to think about until you're yeah. then married to a black person. Yes. And I'm, well, and like, you know, like things that you would instinctively do to to protect your spouse because they're your spouse, yeah. like are different things than like his parents have modeled for him about being protective of each other. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you've got you've got a different threat yeah. to your being yeah. in the world. Yeah. So and, and thankfully, very much thankfully, and, and interesting, you said that you um, are trying to imagine what how different your life would be. Yeah without your white privilege I'm, yeah. I'm very grateful i can't imagine how different my life would be if i'd been black and brought up in um the southern states of america as opposed oh to black and brought up in 
the south the UK. of England. Yeah. Well, and like, and even like you, it sounds like you've mostly been raised in in suburban and yeah. and urban areas, yeah. which makes so, a difference. So I was yeah brought up in East London. Um, thankfully, had very 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 little racism. Interestingly, then lived kind of around the south um, southeast of England, and then went up to Scotland and lived in the Scottish borders for a year. No yeah. racism. Not That's any awesome. racism. I lived in Edinburgh for 14 years. Yeah. Never any racism at all. That's great. So it's a it's a it's a real weird one. But I think I think Sam's kind of my husband's sort yeah. of experience has changed through then becoming, you know, obviously involved and married to yeah. a black person. Because it's had to, he'll, his eyes have been open to, you know, he's aware of certain things because he'll, yeah. and he knows to look for certain things because now he looks at them through that, that you know, the kind of, I suppose you could see it's the equivalent of white gaze, isn't that black gaze? Yeah. You're kind yeah. of very much more attuned to certain things. Yeah. It's, oh, it's exhausting. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, seriously. Crazy. Well, and like, you know, and, America in a lot of different ways is really fantastic, you know, like democratic, you know, assuming when it works, you know, democratic representation is great. Like, you know, like there's there's a lot of a lot of freedoms that we have that are great. You know, there are definitely things that I lean more towards socialism, but you know, but like it's it's a really weird space to be in to also be like like I'm I'm thankful for the country that raised me. But also, what the fuck? Like, this has got to change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There is some scary shit happening. There's some really scary shit happening. Yeah. It seems to be everywhere. Yeah. Fascism is is rising everywhere. Yeah. Just, you know, on the continent as well, it's just Mm -hmm. horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely horrendous. And I'm hoping that it will... You know, it tends to be cyclical. I don't know whether it's, yeah. uh, you know, has it reached its peak? When is it going to reach its peak? And when is it going to, when is sanity going to come back into the, into yeah. the, again, I don't know. I really well, don't I kind know. of, it's, I uh, kind of see it as a pendulum swing. So like, you know, we, we were all like, yay, democracy. And then, you know, and like, and yeah. then fascism is bad. And then, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like we swing back and forth until we find the middle. Yeah. And like, I'm just terrified of the swing and not knowing when the swing is reaching its peak. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Pray yeah. I pray for the middle to come soon. Seriously. We should probably wrap this up because my butt's going numb in my closet. I sit on the floor <laughs> of my closet um, to podcast. Hey, what? Oh, because it's because it's the only place that I can make um, that I can make like box in and be quiet. I'm I'm working on building a, like a sound studio in the studio, uh-huh. but I have better internet at home right now. So <laughs> I thought you just walked in there by your husband or something. Oh no, <laughs> no, I'm I'm underneath my clothes in the bottom of the closet. He's making this sound worse. <laughs> hey, don't come out again until you go off that Skype. <laughs> <laughs> well, he works from home too, so he's actually outside at his desk working. So banished you to the closet. You <laughs> I banished myself to the closet. Let's be truthful. <laughs> oh dear. So, if you could be any animal, oh no. If you could be reincarnated as any animal, what animal would you be? Oh my lordy. Okay. <laughs> I ask the tough questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
for being an animal that had a really good memory. <laughs> elephants? Uh, right, I was going to say, probably an elephant. Elephants have good memories. They also have, you know, good family structure, like nice support systems. Yeah, probably an elephant. Okay. I think I'm already there with a the levy old skin and the big butt, but... You know, <laughs> I big butt sisters unite! <laughs> but, yeah, probably an elephant. Okay. Got to work on that memory. Got to get your bullet journaling properly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's my 2019 goal. Yeah. Oh, it's been really lovely talking to you, Miriam. You too. Have a I'm going to have a hell of a time cutting some of this stuff out because I enjoyed the conversation. I'm going to be like, wait, but I have to get it down to less than an hour. You're joking. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know, some of it is is not particular. Like our talk about food is probably not you know particularly relevant to when it's going to come out, which is going to be like probably February. <laughs> so, you know, that'll probably get cut out. But it was good though. I have to say, yeah, got thinking got me thinking about jam, gins, cocktails, oh, man. Yeah, do you know I'm going. I'm just about. To, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just have a little celebration. My husband's out, and I can see the the kind of rest of a bottle of slow gin. Yes, into my favorite glass, and I'm going. Yes, girl. Have a little chip, a little um, toast to you, and I'm going to post you a picture on Instagram. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's well, thank great. you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Thank you for all. Be great. Thank you. Of course. I had such a lovely time talking with Jeanette. Listening back to the audio was like visiting an old friend, even though it was the first time that we talked. If you'd like to hear a bunch of other stuff that got cut out, the content is available to my Patreon contributors at any level. You can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash Miriam Felton. That's M-I-R-I-A-M-F-E-L-T-O-N. I've linked some really great resources for you to explore your own relationship with privilege. Confronting our privilege seems to be the best way for us to systematically dismantle racism, both at home and abroad. If you're a white person, I urge you to do this work. Even if you just present as a white person, you're benefiting from privilege. We benefit every single day from a world that was built to benefit us. But unfortunately, it was also built to keep others down and to make their lives harder. We didn't create the problem. No one is saying that we did, but we have inherited it. Along with all of the beautiful culture and history that our ancestors left us, they left us with this burden, and we can either perpetuate it or we can help to stop it so we can make a better, more inclusive world. If you want to diversify your feeds or just find some new creatives to follow, make sure to check out Jeanette's list of people of color, designers, and crafters. She's also working on that Asian list, Asian designers and crafters. It should be great as well. I've linked the people of color, designer, and crafter list in the show notes, or you can find it through her profile link, her link tree on Instagram, where she's Jeanette Sloan, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-S-L-O-A-N. I've linked the article that Jeanette wrote titled Black People Do Knit in the show notes, as well as all the people that she mentioned in the founding of the Diversity hashtag. I also highly recommend that you follow the Diversity hashtag. Uh, To do that on Instagram, in the search box, type in the hashtag Diversity. It's D-I-V-E-R-S-K-N-I-T-T-Y. And then it should give you a prompt to be able to follow that hashtag and it'll show up in your feed just like everyone else's posts. 
You can follow me in all of my making at Miriam Felton Knit Designs on Facebook and on Twitter or Instagram as Mim Knits. I am now streaming live from my studio three times a week via Twitch. So if you're interested in watching me make stuff, you can do that on Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 1 p.m. Mountain Time to 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. The address for that is twitch.tv, so T-W-I-T-C-H dot TV slash Mim is making. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. If you want to be notified when I go live, just make sure to create a Twitch account and follow my stream. Thank you forever and ever to the patrons who keep this podcast paid for. If you can't support the podcast with cold hard cash, you can rate and review in iTunes or share the podcast with your fiber-loving friends. Spreading the word of yarn stories makes a huge difference. You can follow the podcast on social media via Facebook. Search for Yarn Stories Podcast with no space between yarn and stories. Twitter at Yarn Stories Pod or Instagram at Yarn Stories Podcast. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah with production help from Sid Fallon. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. Thank you so much for listening. See you again in two weeks when I talk to Carson Demers about the ergonomics of Fibercraft. Hey, babe. Hi. What you doing in the closet?